I've pretty much come to a point where this time I got to bring some clarity to things. Now I hope you don't think that I'm this is this is a proud thing to me. Okay, it, I'm not meaning it as prideful, but it just needs clarity. Now to validate that I'm not doing out of pride, you need to understand this. A couple years back, my son down in Florida met somebody gets to talking to this person, gets to talking to him who finds out they know people here in New Folden. Huh, okay, he's from New Folden, they know about him. And this girl who he has just met says very quickly, Oh, I know about your dad. He's the one who opposed the hobo house. My son asked, Dad, did you oppose the hobo house? No, I never opposed the hobo house. But that's how I'm known to some people. Had no idea that was my reputation, that I'm the guy who opposed the hobo house. Okay, I did not try and correct that. I didn't get back to Newfold and go running to the hobo house and say, hey, whatever that thing that got started years ago, that's not me. I'm happy to see a business do well in town. I have nothing that I'm against the hobo house. So that's one. I did not try and correct that. Here's another one. Josh Hansen told me before he left, he just kind of chuckled. He said, yeah, you know what some people call this church? The cult of Gary Barrett. What? Where did that come from? I didn't even ask to know who it was who says that. I don't want to hear. I don't want to track it down. I don't want to correct the record. People, we're not a cult. Number one, I don't teach anything that's not solid evangelical orthodoxy, right? I'm not off in some strange place that say you got to, you know, believe all these weird things. I do my best every week to open the scriptures as they speak, nor... Am I a Jim Jones kind of guy that tries to get you to give your allegiance to me, right? right? Do you not know me? Hopefully you do understand that my goal is to point you to Jesus Christ and say, follow him, right? Him. He's the one that you're seeking and you want to know. And, and yeah, but I didn't try and correct that. So you got to understand that. And you also need to know I never spit on a veteran. Now, this one is of my own making, but I'll tell you a little bit more about it later. It is that uh, I was at one time introduced when I was going to be the chaplain in a particular veterans meeting. I was introduced that in my earlier years, I'd been one of those who spat on the guys coming back from Vietnam and cursed them out, okay? That wasn't me. I never did that. I remember hearing about it in the news, thinking that's a horrible thing to do to anyone and all the things that they did to the Vietnam veterans coming back. And David Loxa will tell you, they were told, hey, your uniform is not respected in America right now. And I remember hearing about it. I remember hating it. But I never did it. I spoke to a particular veteran one time saying, we, meaning we as Americans did not treat our veterans well when they came back from Vietnam. This guy understood me to say we, being I was part of that group of people who went to airports and, and tried to give the, these returning guys grief. And in, in a public meeting, I was introduced as the, the chaplain to this public meeting, who did that, but I basically repented of that sin now, and it's okay, he can be the chaplain today. I didn't correct that. 
So don't think me proudful when I say there's one other thing I, we do need to do something with, though. Okay? Uh, Friday night was fun. I don't normally get to sporting events before uh, the Christmas holidays. I just do not have time to get to them. So Friday, I was able to get to my first sporting event. And it turns out that it was the night that Keeley scored her thousandth point. That was fun to see. So we were all excited, and I was sitting down in the corner where, with uh, Cruiser and Randy, and uh, Mike Adamick was there, and we watched, and she took her, her three-point shot from right in front of us. And we watched it go in, everybody cheers, they stopped the game, they give her the ball, they announce what's happened, give her the ball, she goes up, gives it to her parents, gives her hugs, goes over, hugs everybody else that she knows in the stadium. About four hours later, we resume the game. <laughs> but after the game, when we notice that she's come down on the floor, and they're taking pictures, and they have a sign that says a thousandth point, and people are, these, all of her fellow students are coming up, and ta- her team takes pictures with her, and these different kids take pictures with her, and I look around, And I go, wait a second, guys. We have three of her Sunday school teachers. Randy, Cruiser, and myself, our Sunday school teacher. She's in my class right now. And her uncle here. We're here. Let's go get our picture taken. So we run over to where they're taking pictures. We jump in front of the cameras, push one kid aside, say, get away. We're her Sunday school teachers and her uncle. All right? This kid's like, okay, all right. So we get our pictures taken and... It took all of about eight seconds, I would say. Here's what we get, okay? Is that sweet right here? You see this picture, right? Let's see. Oh, here we go. There we are. You see that picture? Isn't that nice, okay? So there's Randy Ramblin' Rose, Cruiser, her Uncle Mike, and me. Three Sunday school teachers and her uncle, right? What is that? Three Sunday school teachers and her uncle, right? That's three Sunday school teachers and her uncle, And then this makes it onto Facebook. And what does it say on Facebook? Go ahead. Click on that picture. And over here it says, whoop, whoop, there we are. Bring it back. Oh, yes, isn't that nice? Okay. It says, goofy athletic supporters (laughs) from NEFC. (laughs) Lori pointed that out to me. She said, Well, that was a rather unfortunate choice of words. (laughs) This one we're going to clear up. That's not staying on our website forever. Don't think me proud. We got to do something about that. Give some clarity. It's three Sunday school teachers and an uncle. Not athletic supporters. As we turn ourselves to the book of Matthew today. Matthew gives us some real clarity about who it is he is presenting to us in his book. There's not going to be any confusion here. Now, understand for a moment just the setting that we're in, because we've emphasized this, and now we're going to step away from it, but I want to make sure we've touched on it one last time. We follow this entire course of God's revelation of his redemptive work uh, through the prophets, and then we mentioned there was this 400 silent years where it seemed like the heavens just were not speaking. At the end of that, some stirrings began. And here's, here's the high priest who can't speak, and he's gone mute 
because of what's an interaction with an angel until his son is born and he says his name will be John. And it's just different than what has happened before. As well, there's this young girl who is found to be with child and her, her fiancé figures he knows how this happens because it always does happen this way. But an angel comes to him and says, nope, this is different. So take her as your wife, which he does. Does not, does not ha- consummate a wedding, a, a marriage, until after the full events play out whereby this child, who he was told is of the Holy Spirit, God's creative work inside of this virgin girl, is how she is growing with child. And he said, you will want you to protect her, want this child to come to birth, and you will call his name Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That is a magnificent truth that we try to bring forth through our Christmas season. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time to reflect on that. Then, if you follow the continued story, you find that not a lot happens. There are specific incidences revolving around the birth narrative itself, right? When they went to be dedicated at the temple, here's Anna and Simeon, each of them prophesying over the child. There is a point where, where the kings come, and they ask this question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And they're told, because of the prophecy, they're told it's going to happen in Bethlehem. So Herod, because he's trying to protect his own power, he sends guys down there and to make sure they got the whole thing covered, kills all the baby boys from two years old and under in Bethlehem, as also was prophesied. So we have those stories that we know well. After that, we have an incident at the, uh, at the temple when he's about 12, and a little bit there about him interacting with the religious leaders who um, are amazed by what he knows. And then again, that's about it. Until about 30 years after this birth narrative has happened, there are stirrings again. This one who was named John is now outside of Jerusalem baptizing people in the Jordan River And he is baptizing them with this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there are those who are receiving this message. This kind of wild kind of a guy who um, dresses in coarse clothing, eats coarse food, out there proclaiming repentance. And people are coming out and they're responding And they are entering into this baptism that he is bringing. Along the way, as this stirring is happening, Matthew tells us that uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to see what exactly is going on here. He's not real kind to them. He said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? This is to the religious leaders. He calls them a brood of vipers. And he tells them that you are in danger of falling under God's judgment. That the axe of judgment is already laid to the root of the tree. And you guys better get right because you are missing some things here. 
And he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. That's what's going on. And then into that scene, we are given our text for today. Because Matthew continues on. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. His intention now was to find John to be baptized. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What an incredible scene unfolded. This rough, prophetic individual, John, not afraid to call anybody out on their need for repentance. Not afraid to, I mean, if, if it was in this day and he could tweet, okay, imagine the tweets this guy would send out about who's come in front of him. And come, here comes to him the one he recognizes as Jesus, the promised one. He says, wait a second, you're coming to be baptized by me? I need to be baptized by you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And he is confused by this request that he gets from Jesus, that this doesn't seem to make sense. And Jesus makes this statement that he was to permit it to fulfill all righteousness. And John does permit it. And John does. John does baptize him. Now that causes us to stop just for a moment and seek to understand this thing called baptism. It'd be good for us just to note in our thinking that John didn't introduce a concept of baptism. That had been going on, had been done in, in, a, in a number of different co- contexts and cultures, okay? This idea of baptism carries, it, carries with it an, an identifying process that Whatever you're being baptized for, you're identifying with that particular thing. Now here, they're being baptized unto repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're being baptized for the fact that they are sinners and they are repenting. They're turning from that and they're identifying with a message that says, we got to get right because God's doing something here. And they're identifying themselves with that message and and saying, we've we got to go about something different, which is why he calls out the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, is are they really going to repent of what they're doing with the law and with people? And later, Jesus will point it all out with them, and, and he'll have it out with all of them. 
But Jesus says, let me be baptized. I was like, hey, wait. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus is not baptized unto repentance. We have to look at this differently. Why does he not need to be baptized unto repentance? Because Hebrews tells us clearly he was without sin. He didn't have anything to repent from. It isn't that he was guilty of anything. So why does he need to baptize in order to fulfill all righteousness? What, is, what exactly is happening here? Well, it is his means of identi- identifying fully with the humanity which is, which is sinful and in need of him. So the identifying process is it's a declaration of the fact that he is fully human, not sinful, but he's identifying with fully human beings who are sinful. Let me see if I can give it a little bit of context. Maybe this will help. I mentioned to you, I never spit on the vets. And I didn't. I thought it was terrible what we did to vets, which is why I said that and used the term we. But why didn't I correct it? when a guy publicly puts me into that group of people who would spit on vets. There were two thoughts went through my mind, and I just let it go. One was, I don't care to embarrass this guy, that he misunderstood something I had said in front of all his fellow vets, and now we've got to have a discussion about exactly that. And like, hey, don't, you know, don't put me there. But that wasn't the biggest thing. The biggest thing was this. We, as America, did that. We, as America, let that happen. We, as Americans, saw that on, uh, you know, going on at the airports. It was making the news, and it just happened, and it was horrible. And so what I was, the reason I let it go was, no, I wasn't there, and I didn't like what went on, but I am an American. It happened from among us as Americans. And even though I didn't do it, <laughs> I'm still identified with the Americans, who did so I didn't correct it because I had an identity with the the American side of who these people were is that making sense I didn't do it didn't even like it but I was an American when I made my statement about we as America that's what I was saying as a nation we did not treat our returning vets from Vietnam with the respect they deserved and so when I was put into that group I was like I will just take that identity though I didn't do it. Does that help? Jesus took our identity and our humanity, though he never did our sin. And that's what he's asking John to do. Now, when you take that, you take that understanding, and you put it with the next thing that happens here, having been baptized, and by the way, this is the inauguration of his ministry. This is where things are going to start going public. Having been baptized, he comes up out of the water... And now the heavens are open to him. The Spirit of God, like a dove, descends upon him. There's a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, which would make that voice the Father. And what do we have right here? We have the Trinity now being revealed. And his place in the Trinity as he comes out from this baptism And here's my point, friends. The revelation of Christ at his birth, which we looked at 
during the Christmas season, the revelation of Christ at his birth is repeated at his baptism. And what is that revelation? That Jesus Christ is fully human and fully God. And now, as that was done 30 years prior at at his birth, with the virgin birth, and all that went with that, and the name Emmanuel, God with us. Now we have this, hey, remember what happened 30 years ago? Now let's tell you once again, we're starting from that point, that the one who is now in your midst, this one whom John has been baptizing under repentance, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and God's about to do something, this one standing there in front of you is indeed fully human, therefore he has undergone baptism to identify with Fully, full humanity, though not in their sin, he will identify with it eventually, as well as fully God. Friends, this is, this is such a magnificent truth that we as believers own and have that um, I cannot overstate it. And it's necessary that we grasp this And because Matthew wants to make sure that we truly get this, and the other gospel writers do this too, there's no question about how they present Christ as to who he is. One person, two natures, fully God, fully man. In the one person of Jesus, the Christ. If you push on over to Matthew chapter 17... We're given the same revelation again because there's not going to be any mistake about who it is we're dealing with here. In in Matthew chapter 17, you're familiar with it. I'll just point it out to you. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes James, John, and Peter, goes up onto a hill, and there he is transfigured before them. Now, here's a revelation. They, They came up with a guy who's clearly fully human, but the revelation of his deity comes forth in this way. The glory that is his begins to shine through and out from him. And the glory of heaven, the glory which he, which he is worthy of, I don't know how else to describe it, but it emanates forth and Moses and Elijah are there as representative heads of the entire revelation of the Old Testament. Moses and Elijah are there. And Jesus Christ is again revealed to be fully human, the one who went up, but fully God, the one who is transfigured. And Matthew gives us, I think, about the fullest all after that now. And Luke tells us, it's Luke who informs us that while there, they discussed Christ's upcoming death. Uh, that's, that was their topic. So after his death, burial, and resurrection, Matthew gives us what I consider to be one of the fullest statements of what we call the Great Commission, and it won't show up on the screen. You're familiar with it. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going to pick up this baptism thing again. And now, it's a baptism into this identity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This new life that is going to be available through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. But notice that baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Singular, one name, 
three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Who is speaking this? (laughs) The resurrected Christ, now in his resurrection body, before them, speaks this to them. So they see his resurrected humanity, and then they hear again that he is also deity. The magnificent truth that sets Jesus Christ apart from anyone else in the world, sets him apart from any philosopher you might want to follow and say, boy, this guy is really smart and he understands things. Any religious leader, any politician or political system, Jesus Christ stands out uh, separate from all of them and from all of humanity because he singularly is the one who is fully human and fully God. And here's how we'll wrap it up, friends. Here's the point. You know what? It really doesn't matter a whole lot if people think I'm a guy who somehow opposed the hobo house. It really doesn't matter if they think I'm one of the people who spit on veterans. That has very little implication. But it has eternal consequences, what we think and understand about Jesus Christ. And that we must get right. That does matter. Because eternity hangs in the balance for each of us as an individual. And eternity hangs in the balance as far as the gospel that we proclaim. It's not a cult. (laughs) We're proclaiming Jesus Christ as the scriptures teach him. Plain and simple. So here's just a couple of thoughts I think we might want to consider as we see Matthew's emphasis yet again on this truth of who Jesus Christ is. One, it matters in our sufferings. Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4 remind us that Jesus Christ as our high priest is able to identify with us in our sufferings. That he has suffered in one way or another everything in this life that we can possibly suffer. And we could take time to list it, but certainly he understands physical suffering with the excruciating death that he went through. Certainly he understands relational suffering as he was completely rejected by those he came to love and save. And they're the ones who saw to it that he hung on a cross. And any myriad of things in between... But it matters in our suffering. That when we wonder, does God know? Does God understand? Does God care? Does, he's God. What does he care about the suffering? Hey, he came and experienced it with us and for us. So he's a high priest who can identify with us as he ministers on our behalf. It matters that we grasp who Jesus Christ is when we're going through times of suffering because that is going to sustain us through the suffering. It matters in our transformation. Romans 12 tells us what? Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because we're to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. 
we live in a world which fits, which fits perfectly into our own natural tendencies is to go, you know what? I want to go through this life taking care of me. I want to go through this life making sure I'm comfortable, I'm happy, I'm doing the things I want to do. I want to go through this life and having, having all the things that I want to have around me that make me feel good, look good, and I like my life where it's at. And God says, yeah, I got another idea. How about if you lay all that aside and become a servant and let me transform you into Christ's likeness and let's take on a new set of priorities here. Yeah, you know, you know where that starts? Philippians tells us where that process starts. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery or thing to be grasped for, to be equal with God, humanity and deity, took on himself uh, the form of man, became obedient unto death. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, great. This whole process means a humbling of myself. That You mean it isn't all about me, God? You mean it isn't all about I got to look good? I got to be impressive. I got I to gotta be the one who people respect. No, <laughs> it's really not. It's about being conformed into Christ's likeness, and that begins by, as Christ, being fully God, became fully man, took on full humanity, he humbled himself, right? He humbled himself. I mean, just think about the glory that, 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 that uh, emanated from him on the Mount of Transfiguration. What if he were to go around, and guy, you know, a guy speaks evil of Jesus, and he goes, oh, yeah? You, you think that's what you're going to say, buddy? Poof, and out of a button, shouts that, you know, that glory goes and just kills the guy right there, which he could have done. But he kept it hidden all the time, right? Other than on that transfiguration, he kept that glory hidden because he had, by humility, taken on the form of a servant in in being coming human and taking on flesh. So in this process of transformation where God reminds us time and time and time again, it's about humbling ourselves. It's about becoming servants for the sake of his kingdom. I need to remember who Jesus Christ is because that it helps me grasp a picture and an example of, oh yeah, Lord, Jesus humbled himself. And if he humbled himself among the likeness of us and to be put to death by the likeness of us, certainly I can. If he went from here to here, certainly I can go from here to here because there's no real difference, right? So it helps in our suffering. It matters in our transformation, And it matters in our confidence as to who Jesus Christ is in grasping this reality. In 2 Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. When the time comes and all the books are balanced out, I know that this one whom I have believed is able to be all that I need to represent me properly where I need to be represented. Now this matters that we have a sense of confidence about who Christ is in this way. You guys know that I was, I was raised in, in, as a Catholic. I'm not speaking against Catholicism. Don't get me wrong. That's a discussion we would have another place comparing Catholicism to what we would believe. I'm just letting you know that was my background. And then, by God's grace, he began to get me exposed to people who opened the Word of God together and they actually joined and went into things I call Bible studies. 
Well, this was exciting. And he was opening up himself to me as he opened up his word to me. And I was like, this is amazing. We wanted people to know about this. So we were asking our peers to come. Hey, come to this Bible study. Come to this Bible. I met Lori this, in this group of people. All right? Wonderful things were happening. Bill Gast, who's a name some of you will vaguely recognize, he's the guy who put me in touch with this church, also went into ministry out of that group, as did I and others, went into full-time ministry. God was doing something significant there. Um, uh, he had a neighbor friend, and we were trying to invite her to come to this Bible study, but she came out of the same background, and her mom wouldn't let her go, and dad wouldn't let her go unless we talked to a priest first. So we went and talked to the priest, because we want her to come to the Bible study. This is great stuff. So we go, we talk to the priest, and this is what I remember the priest saying. He said, according to Catholic doctrine, if we leave the Catholic Church, we are eternally lost. That's what the priest told to a couple of guys who are in college who are just beginning to get an understanding of the word, but they're excited about what they're learning. And friends, I tell you, for two weeks, I was scared to death. What if he's right? What if he's right? What if he's right? That forced me into the word and to come to realize that, wait a second, I've got Jesus Christ. It's what he has done for me is what I have and where my confidence is. It's not in this religious denominational thing. And that set the fear aside from what I was told. All right, good. Literally, three days ago, I was reading an email from somebody who tried to explain to me their understanding of the gospel. And it was long and detailed. And I sensed that their understanding was a little bit different on some things than as I would understand them. But here's my point. It didn't scare me at all that they might understand things a little differently than me. Why? Because I've been walking in a confidence that in Jesus Christ, that's my only hope. I got nothing else. I got nothing else. Long ago, God convicted me that guess what? Guess what? You can bring none of your own righteousness to your salvation because you've got none. You've got none. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be imputed to you. That's what you need. And he will do that if you will receive him. And I have received him, and many of you have also. So that confidence presents, prevents us from being caught up in this fearful place. As Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded he's able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. And that confidence also gives us, not only so that we're not scared by a, somebody who is there trying to work their way through the scriptures and understand things, and the system they're coming out of has told them it's this, um, but it also gives us a perseverance, friends. A perseverance to continue on. I always find it intriguing that there was a point in Jesus' ministry where... People at up, uh, no, he, he just went off the deep end on that, and they start leaving him, and he says to his disciples, are you going to go away too? Pretty straightforward question, and they answered, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. You see, friends, this, when we grasp this truth and its application to our life, it will bring a perseverance to our spirits. They say, I'm not going anywhere. There are times I, I'm just thinking, you know, this isn't always easy. 
I don't always want to be the role of a servant. There are times I would just like to go for whatever the world has to offer. I want it. No, no, you're called to be a servant. That's what Jesus Christ was. He didn't get caught up in the things of this world. And there have been times I have honestly considered just walking away from it. So why just give it up? The one thing that keeps me coming back is because of who he is. This truth that he is fully human, fully God, fully capable of gaining my salvation. Where will I turn if I turn away from that? And so I don't understand the frustration I'm in. I don't understand the pain I'm in. I don't understand the difficulty I'm in. But I'm going to keep seeking him. Because he alone, he alone can and will solve this in the end. So here's what I'd like us to consider, friends. And this is why I've hit this pretty heavy, I know, during this season about who Jesus Christ is. As I wrap it up, I think it's important first for us to own that truth as to who Jesus Christ is, to understand what the scriptures are revealing. That's number one. That's the first step. Because what really matters or what will really help us is this. For us to own that truth and for that truth to own us. When we are so identified with this truth and so aware as to who he is and that in him alone is a significant and eternal hope, we won't go anywhere else. That's not a prideful statement. That actually is based in, in a statement completely of knowing I, I am completely needy. I am completely hopeless. I am completely helpless without him. It's not them going, man, we're really, we're great. We're the free church and we're not, we're not going to abandon knowing Jesus Christ because we're incredible. No, it's not. That's not what it is. It is we're needy. And there's no other remedy for our need than him fully human, fully God, humbled himself even to the death of a cross, that he might then stand in our place, totally identified not as a sinful human, but with humanity which is sinful, and then took on our sin. And our sin was identified with his death on the cross. And when we by faith receive him, his righteousness is identified into us. And in that, we can have magnificent confidence. Father, thank you for this magnificent truth that is embodied in Jesus Christ. This singularly unique individual who has walked the face of the earth among humanity, but at the same time, full deity, that he might ultimately be that perfect sacrifice on our behalf. We praise you for him, Lord. We praise you for this season which has allowed us this, these weeks to focus upon him. And we just pray that as we leave here now that not one of us will leave this worship center this morning without knowing for sure not only that we own this truth as to who Jesus Christ is, but that it owns us, that we've entered into it in a way in which we have called out to him.
you. We give you praise for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.